should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting that. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome to Tuesday, the day after tax day. Hopefully <laughs> you have filed, you're done with, and uh, even if you're not done with your taxes, you filed that extension. Don't run away from the IRS. It's not a good thing. <laughs> they will find you. Yeah. Uh, happy Tuesday. I'm always happy to be here on Tuesday. Um, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Um, hello, Michelle. Hello, hello everybody. Hello. hello. Uh, it is Taco Tuesday somewhere. <laughs> Around the country, someone's serving tacos for like a dollar for the day, yeah, I think. So, so if we sound distracted, it's just because we have a plate piled high with delicious <laughs> smelling tacos right next to us. I continue to apologize to those who tune in to the program um, at times in which we uh, replay our shows. I have just been uh, beaten up the first quarter of this year. I think beaten up in a lot of ways, personally, professionally. Um, I think professionally is a good thing because I've actually been extremely busy with the television show uh, and uh, with San Francisco Pride. That's right. People can't believe that Black Lives Matter has been um, selected as the community organizational grand marshal. And that, that that selection has come from the public. I got a question from someone at KQED the other day. Mm -hmm. What does Black Lives Matter have anything to do with the LGBTQ movement? <laughs> It is one. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know, but uh, black LGBTQI people exist. I can introduce you to a few. <laughs> but I was so surprised that I got that question from someone at KQED. But You know, it doesn't surprise me because I don't think a lot of people know how much the Black Lives Matter movement is, in fact, driven by and led by women and LGBT folks. Right. No, it's true. But I mean, I mean, it, it's just so easy for me, you know, in, in terms of when you talk about being inclusive, like I oh, have always known that the gay community has never been made up of one race, one gender, one sex, you know. <laughs> so it was just a, maybe it was just a, the way that she asked. It was very awkward. Um, but I'm very happy that we have a great show today yes. and I'm very happy that John Zipper is here with us. Um, I, I should note that, you know, during this time of the month, it does get really weird, like mid-April. Uh, you know, today the, there was an announcement of the 7.8 earthquake in Ecuador. And that's, uh, that's really, I think, you know, right around the time of the 1906 earthquake here in, in San Francisco. Um, I just learned that there is all this magma building up underneath the Yellowstone National Park, which is not too far from the San Francisco Bay Area. Hasn't erupted in 640,000 years, but it's uh, it's, filling it's up to the then. point. <laughs> yeah. So some well, scary then, stuff. Then there were the Japan earthquakes last week. The, yes. So that means if we're not here tomorrow, I love you all. Let's get the show started. 
<laughs> Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is Chris Johnson from Washington Blade, a good friend of ours here on the show. I'd like to say he's been on the show before. He's a great, uh, incredible journalist, and he's got a, an article out that caught John Zipper's eye. So thank you, John, for bringing this to our attention. But there's been some criticism as far as Bernie Sanders goes uh, in terms of his lack of uh, fundraising that he's done for Democratic uh, candidates. And so this article here points out that he has endorsed some congressional candidates, but two of those three that he's endorsed um, are uh, looking to defeat openly gay contenders. So here to talk about his article is Chris Johnson. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, thanks for having me on. So uh, Sanders has declared support for Lucy Flores, Pramila Jayapal, and Zephyr Teachout. And uh, those three, too, are looking to take the seats of openly gay contenders. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, is, is there a problem with that? Well, I mean, uh, the point of the article that I, I just wanted to point out was the fact that this uh, has, that, that, that Sanders made these endorsements, and by doing so, he is basically seeking to fundraise against these candidates. And people can take that for uh, how they want, whether that's a problem, if that's a problem for some people, then that can be a problem for them. If people have, or don't object to that, that's, uh, they can have that opinion too. But I just, but this happens, though, at a time when, LGBT people are not represented uh, proportionally in all walks of, of political life. I mean, the Williams Institute estimates that um, LGBT people um, uh, make up about 3% of the population and 2.5% of the population, there's only slightly 1% of uh, Congress is uh, openly LGBT. And there's no transgender people whatsoever in any, uh, any, any state legislative office or uh, in Congress. So. Um, they, the, LG, uh, the members of the LGBT community are not sufficiently represented in Congress, and uh, Bernie Sanders has wanted to defeat people who would try to increase that representation. So tell us about these candidates that he is supporting and, and versus the, the folks he's really supporting them against in these primaries. Are they more progressive than the ones who didn't support, he's not supporting, or are they simply the ones who endorsed him and you know spoke at the rallies, as you mentioned? Uh, well, I, I think that that would be the, the most distinguishing characteristic of, all, of each of these three candidates is that uh, they have uh, supported Senator Sanders in his presidential campaign and uh, various capacities. Um, the, um, uh, the the Flores, the uh, the woman he endorsed in Nevada, and uh, J. L. Powell, the woman he endorsed in Washington State, they they introduced the candidate uh, and uh, during rallies and uh, when he came to Nevada and Washington State. And Flores, uh, the woman in Nevada, also appeared in an advertisement for Sanders that ran before the Nevada caucuses. So I've, I, it's, it's pretty clear that he's picked them because uh, they are, are, are uh, supportive of this campaign. Now, I, I should point out, though, that even though these, these candidates are, are, are running against um, openly gay contenders, at least the ones in the, the two in the one in New York and the one in Washington State. I mean, they both of those candidates have pro LGBT records. The, uh, uh, J. Appel, for example, she was in Washington State. She's in, she's in the Washington State Senate, and she cast uh, one of the votes, arguably the deciding vote against the anti-trans bathroom bill uh, that uh, that came up under the Republican-controlled uh, State Senate in Washington State. And then uh, Zephyr Teachout, who's in New York, uh, she uh, also took part in New York City Pride, and she when she was she also challenged M Andrew Cuomo uh, in, in a primary a couple years ago, and she received endorsements from a, a handful of. Uh, 
local uh, New York City LGBT groups. So um, it's not really uh, so these, these people are running against openly uh, uh, candidates, but uh, they don't really have anti-gay records. Uh, you you note in the article that uh, you know you hadn't yet gotten a response from the Sanders uh, campaign. H- have you gotten anything since this article has been put out? No, I don't have. I've, I've, there's no response. We continue to make repeated requests for them to comment on this, and they just have. Uh, I've not gotten uh, uh, not gotten back to us with any comment. We would very much like for them to say something. I, I would very much like to know if the, if the Sanders campaign knew that they were uh, endorsing candidates who were running against uh, 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 gay challengers. And if uh, they feel like that effort is now undermining LGBT representation in Congress. This is, I guess, really me inserting an opinion here. But, I mean, you have to think that when you're doing that, especially when you haven't done a lot of these endorsements to go, you know, to begin, it's not like he's got, you know, hundreds of endorsements he's been doing throughout the campaign. You, I mean, you do look at that. You, You do look at who the other people are that you're not endorsing. For one thing, you know, might they might turn out to be also strong Bernie supporters. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a quixotic three people to choose to endorse when he hasn't been doing it. And I, I kind of wonder if this is, you know, they're part of the explanation of why Bernie Sanders doesn't have many superdelegates. Um, you know, his camp says, oh, the system's rigged against us. But he simply hasn't helped all these people. He's now demanding to help him. You know, and when he does help it, it's it's kind of a, an, an I won't say a, a an, impossible choice because he can choose whoever he wants. I mean, you know, if he genuinely, genuinely supports these three candidates, he should endorse them. But um, it does seem that against the background of what he's been doing and what he's been saying about superdelegates and about, uh, you know, not uh, raising money for other Democrats much, um, this is what he comes out with. And, and he manages to poke a, uh, uh, an important Democratic constituency in the eye. Well, yeah, and, and the thing, the, it, it's, of all the candidates he had could have chosen to support, he picks these three candidates, and two of them are running against uh, openly gay people. And you know, intentionally or not, it just uh, you can make a case that it sends a signal uh, that that gay people are included as part of a Senator Sanders' vision for the country. That that I mean, mm-hmm. that uh, by uh, picking these people and not uh, who are running against uh, gay people trying to seek office, that. Uh, he's making a, a, a message of exclusion towards the LGBT community. Michelle Miao and John Zipper on the phone with us is Chris Johnson, who's the chief political and White House reporter for the Washington Blade. We're having a conversation about Bernie Sanders and uh, his endorsement for congressional candidates that uh, basically, too, those congressional candidates are running against uh, out LGBTQ candidates. Um, and, you know, here's the thing is that if there is controversy around this specific issue and one may say that, you know, being LGBTQI should not be the only requirement or criteria, um, you know, in being selected or endorsed by a president who, you know, has obviously been out and open and talking about how he has always supported LGBTQ equality. I, I There is something to say, though, about the importance of visibility, don't you think, Chris? I mean, you had just mentioned it earlier in which we do not have uh, very many LGBTQI out people serving um, in these seats, and, and we need them. I think it is very important that we need them, especially if we want to fight some of these you know, anti-LGBTQ bills that are popping around the country. What are your thoughts? That's, I, I think that's a good point to make that uh, LGBT people remain a discriminated class in the United States. If you need a reminder of that, just check out the anti-LGBT laws in Mississippi and North Carolina and, and Kansas. I mean, 
So uh, we're not at a time yet where sexual orientation and gender identity is just a neutral uh, a, a characteristic of, uh, of people. I think that, that it's still important for, uh, uh, for us to ma- uh, maintain our visibility. I mean, we've certainly made a lot of progress. The movement has made a lot of progress in recent years, and marriage of victory, of course, is a huge ruling, but there's still more to go and there's still more to do. And uh, visibility and, and getting people elected to a high office is a is could be a, a, a component in making a more uh, making more progress happen. Uh, obviously, we, the Sanders campaign isn't giving you any response yet. Uh, hopefully, it's just a yet, and it will come. <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, any sense of whether the Hillary Clinton campaign is is uh, going to try to make some hay from this? You know, retweeting and and sending out your article. Well, I haven't seen I, I haven't seen them do. That I, I think that the Clinton campaign has has, uh, has kept away from this. Um, uh, so they they, they, off, they also haven't said anything about it. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of remains, just as it remains to be seen if the Sanders campaign will say anything, it also remains to be seen if the uh, Clinton campaign uh, will say anything. I'm sure they're very busy right now trying to get out the vote for the New York primary, um, which would be a, is a crucial contest for both those candidates. But uh, we, we may very well hear from both campaigns. I, uh, you know, and, and it's not that I want to just stick on, on this article. Chris, you've written a ton of articles in, in following um, this uh, campaign and the, the presidential elections. Uh, it's interesting, you know, that we have these two candidates, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. And I feel like from a journalist's point of view, I feel like the, the journalists, you know, you get you get grilled so hard it doesn't matter what you write whether it's it leans on you know pro hillary or pro bernie do you feel that the you know the, the voters i guess of the progressive community are, are just really hard on you know, the media during this presidential election oh they are and it makes sense for them to be that way because people are very passionate about the candidates whom they support whether they support hillary clinton or they support bernie sanders and um, I mean, like, for, if you look at the comments of the piece that we've been discussing, I mean, there are people who are really not happy with uh, that fact that I pointed this out, that he uh, endorsed candidates running against gay challengers. And then uh, if they go on to Twitter, I mean, Hillary Clinton, her campaign hasn't tweeted this out, but her supporters are tweeting it out like crazy and making memes out of it and doing all sorts of, uh, and making sure the message gets out there. So uh, in some cases, they're um, misrepresenting the article as saying that he's endorsed all, uh, he's fundraising against all, uh, 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 minority candidates of all characteristics, like women and racial minorities, which doesn't make any sense if you read the article, because each of the candidates he, he did endorse were women. So um, uh, I, I do think that the, that the pot is really... I'm just trying to get the facts out there and see what's happening. And if uh, the facts are what people like, they, uh, uh, it makes a certain candidate look bad. Uh, the uh, supporters of the candidate are, are sure to let me know. Yeah, the journalist is always going to be the target everyone gets to... Uh... Shoot at. Tough job. Hey, Chris, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk uh, a whole lot more about your work and the coverage of the presidential elections this year. So don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this incredible Tuesday, Taco Tuesday, whatever Tuesday you want to call it. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And our special guest on the phone is Chris Johnson. He's the chief political and White House reporter for the Washington Blade. Chris, before the break, we touched on Bernie Sanders and uh, his announcement or endorsement of some congressional candidates. I want to turn our attention now and just kind of talk generally about um, the presidential elections uh, mm -hmm. and LGBT rights, by the way. Obviously, the LGBTQ community has been um, in, the, in the news lately regarding the rash of anti-LGBTQ bills that have been proposed and passed. So, for example, Tennessee, North Carolina, Mississippi, and there's a few more. I see that Cruz has been out there talking about religious liberty. Um, Kasich, LGBT people who face discrimination should get over it. Uh, you know, they, they have been vocal. I haven't really heard much Maybe I'm missing something, but from, you know, either Hillary or Bernie on the on the matter, or at least they're not being incredibly vocal, while, whereas the big companies have been protesting. And I mean, should we look to them to make a big deal out of this? Well, they are, they are wanting to be the leaders of the country, and these are major social issues. And so I think um, LGBT advocates are going to probably uh, want them to be on the forefront of this of, of, uh, and speaking out against these anti-LGBT laws now. For what it's worth, both, uh, uh, both uh, Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders, they have tweeted out opposition to the North Carolina and Mississippi laws. Um, on top of that, Senator Sanders did address them and say that he's going to do everything he can to overturn them uh, during an interview on The View, I think it was uh, last week. Um, so he had, so they, they have spoken out to some degree about this, certainly not as much as, say, uh, like, the, like the Human Rights Campaign or the LGBT advocacy groups themselves. Um, but uh, they have spoken out about it, and uh, it's uh, whether they should do more. I, I'm sure that people would want them to do more. 
um, as we as we keep seeing these those percolates in the state legislature. It, it does seem a lot of the uh, attention from the opposition and really across the country, I mean, across the, the, the spectrum, I guess, politically, has been on North Carolina and their public relations debacle over this whole thing. Um, and we were talking before the commercial break about, you know, everyone likes to blame the media for everything. Well, we saw North Carolina's governor come out and say, oh, this was the media's fault that we are being portrayed this horribly. But, you know, all we were trying to do is take away some rights. Um, what do you, uh, not, that, by the way, is not a quote. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what do you, what do you think about uh, what he's trying to do and any chances of success of him uh, winning with that message? Well, that's a message that a lot of conservatives, Conservatives like to hear their leaders bash the media. I mean, you just got to look to the Donald Trump at his rallies, uh, uh, criticizing the media for not looking at the audience. I mean, this is a—it's just a, a thing that is a—it runs, it polls very well, I guess, among uh, among uh, the the uh, some of the social conservatives in this country. So it's no surprise that McCrory would want to that. He's under a lot of pressure right now from. A business community, like just uh, the business community, calling on him to repeal that law, and it just the, the the amount of money that's being that, that North Carolina is losing is immense. I mean, that, I saw a report in the a local paper, North Carolina Today, that the, like the cancellation of, of events in, in North Carolina has quadrupled since the passage of that law. So, and, and just anecdotally, I'm just hearing a lot of people who are just, like canceling travels to North Carolina, and so they're they're really losing a lot here. And that's going to take a toll on the state. I, I think it's going to be very hard for them to uh, yeah, to keep ignoring that. That said, there's really no indication there's going to be any change anytime soon with the law. I meet the press on on Sunday. McCrory said he didn't like a part of the of the law that uh, made it impossible for people to sue on the basis of, uh, if, they, if they face discrimination in state court. But uh, even if that component of the law has changed, it's still uh, would prohibit uh, cities from enacting pro-LGBT ordinances and still would prohibit transgender people from using the bathroom consistent with our gender identity. So that's just a small part of the law. Uh, down in South Carolina, then, Governor Nikki Haley, also Republican, has said that her state does not need such a law, which, of course, is working its way through the legislature there. Do you think, had North Carolina not uh, run into it, you know, the, the brick wall they did, that South Carolina would have passed such a thing? I mean, I'm asking you to speculate, to speculate, of course, but I mean, do you think this is having an impact on some other states that otherwise might have, have gone for one of these bills? Well, yeah, I think we can really see that, uh, especially more uh, distinctly in Tennessee, where just yesterday the uh, lead sponsor of an anti-transgender bathroom bill announced that she was going to uh, pull the bill from the, uh, from the legislature. So um, I think North Carolina, the... Uh, the consternation over that law uh, had an impact in Tennessee, as well as uh, assertions that uh, Tennessee could lose out on uh, an estimated $1.2 billion in edu- education funding if they passed that law. That's right. But the, the, the fact that North Carolina is running into so much difficulty is, um, is a lesson that other states are heeding. It's probably a lesson that North Carolina should have learned themselves. I mean, this is not a new thing. There was uh, firestorm uh, that happened last year in Indiana after Mike Pence uh, signed the anti-LGBT religious freedom law in that state. And the year before, there was a big firestorm when a similar bill was on the desk of uh, Arizona Governor Jan Brewer. So uh, North Carolina didn't learn the lessons from those two states, and other states are learning now the lessons from North Carolina. I think a lesson that some of us who are not in the South are, are learning is that there are some of these big cities down there that are quite liberal. I mean, that, that they... You know, they're the economically dynamic mm-hmm. parts of those states, and they've 
you know, they're, they're definitely not fitting the, our stereotype of, you know, the, the Southern deep South conservative. Um, it'll, I'm curious on as to, are those the areas that are growing and that could eventually help change the, the political, uh, uh, status of some of those States, or if it's just kind of, you know, an oasis still surrounded by a, a desert, any thoughts? Um, that's kind of, unfortunately, that's beyond my expertise as to how the extent of which cities in the South are growing and whether that's going to overtake the conservative nature of some of the states as a whole. I mean, I do know that they, I would agree that there are these enclaves of, of progressive uh, politics in these deeply conservative states. I think often Texas comes to mind. I mean, I know people from let's just take North Carolina, for example. I mean, Charlotte there is a booming state, and mm-hmm. uh, North Carolina has a, as, a, as a state as a whole has a, as a scientific uh, research uh, center that's really booming. That's right. And um, it makes sense for them to want to pass an discrimination ordinance. And I, for the, then for the, whole, the state as a whole to essentially overturn that is something that they're not going to like, and I'm sure that they're going to remember that uh, during the uh, when it comes to electing a uh, when election day comes rolls around and it comes to electing a new governor and new members of the state legislature. Sure, uh, let's tie this back into the uh, presidential campaign because uh, uh, Ted Cruz recently was asked at a, a town hall, I believe it was, by a gay Republican about some of these religious liberty uh, laws. Tell us, uh, and for those of our listeners who have not heard about this. Tell us what happened and, and uh, what what uh, how it went down. Well, it was, it was a just a, a and there's a clip on Good Morning America on Monday of the day before the New York primary. An individual who identified himself as a gay Republican in a same-sex marriage, and I hope your readers will forgive him. He's also said he was a uh, Trump-leaning uh, voter. <laughs> asked Cruz uh, what uh, what what the candidate would do. To protect him against states passing uh, laws that would enable discrimination against him in the name of religious freedom, and instead of really answering the question, and Ted Cruz just went on for a few sentences about how great religious freedom is, essentially telling this uh, uh, gay New Yorker that uh, religious freedom is all he needs to have uh, to keep him safe from discrimination, even though that it's, these discriminatory laws are based on religious freedom. So. Uh, I, I, it'd be interesting. I, I kind of wish they got the, what, uh, some thoughts on what this, uh, this questioner uh, thought of uh, Ted Cruz's response, but uh, he, uh, he essentially verified that he would do nothing to stop these uh, these anti-LGBT laws from uh, from uh, from from passing and uh, from uh, uh, allowing discrimination against LGBT Americans. Mm-hmm. Chris, we're winding down, and I have uh, a, just a general question for you in in covering, you know, politics and how it impacts the LGBTQ community and movement for the Washington Blade. I'm, I imagine that your job has just been quite interesting in the last, like, I don't know, uh, at, at least six months with these uh, presidential candidates on the, the both right side and left side. Um, but what is it like when, you know, the, your headlines have to, you're like forced to cover something like what a, a Republican conservative might say about who should go to the bathroom? I mean, that's, <laughs> it's got to, for someone who has the credentials like you do in the education, does it get just frustrating at times when you've got to sit down and be like, all right. This is what so and so has said about you know people who are using the men's bathroom and blah blah blah. Well, um, 
some of those hateful things that these people who are, are foreign to these anti-LGBT laws are saying are, are, can be very hard to hear. But we have to hear them in order to that that that, that contributes to our outrage. So I have really no, uh, uh, um, you know, I have no qualms about reporting that. I mean, just by that by these people saying like uh, that they uh, want to have discrimination because they don't like the idea of being in a bathroom with a transgender person. It's just, uh, because they're grossed out by it, or it's just it's just discrimina- uh, discrimination and bigotry. Mm-hmm. So uh, we need to be able to hear that in order for us to be angry, in order for us to uh, work to resist and oppose and overturn these laws, wherever they are. Here's maybe a better question. How many hashtag shaking my head moments do you have <laughs> during the day um, at, at the job? <laughs> uh, um, I might not use that exact hashtag, but that happens <laughs> At least once a day, probably. I mean, especially with all these, uh, with these when these bills going forward. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on the program again. And gosh, you're welcome anytime. Thank you for for keeping us informed and uh, for leading America's leading gay news source. Thank you for having me. You can follow Chris's work by heading to WashingtonBlade.com. He's also available on Twitter. Uh, Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about politics here in this country. Woo! And uh, and lies. I mean, no one lies. No one lies here in this country, right? I I think you just lied. (laughs) I did just lie. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. Tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation. It's perfect for the trans community, which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. TransHack um, provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that the tech industry provides. Um, It's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then. And I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write direct my own films, but also was just kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing, all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. Um, It's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards. Of all types of people, in in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure. Um, But that's also exciting in the fact that, like, 
um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set. So, um, and that is the, the epitome of success. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John, uh, you have never lied to anybody ever before. Let's go with that. I like that. <laughs> but not that, like, you know, the two of us matter. I mean, we could tell a small little lie um, and <laughs> whatever, right? Uh, I have to admit, there is not a plate of delicious smelling tacos next to us. <laughs> I lied when I said that earlier in the program. But what about when, it, you know, it's people that want to lead the this country and, 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 you know, talk about their credentials, like they're so amazing and the things that they've done in their life. And they tell us why they should be the president of the United States. What about when they lie? I, I think, and it'll be interesting to get our, our guests take on this. I think a lot <laughs> of people forgive their candidate their, and their, or even their movement, a lot of, you know, fudging, if you will, that th there's no way they would accept from someone else. Well, as LGBTQI people, we definitely have our fair share of the lies that exist out there. Like, for example, we are unicorns and dragons in real life, and uh, therefore we should be killed. Anyway, let's get our show started <laughs> and get our guests here on the line. Our guest today is Ari Robin Hofti. He's the host of The Agenda that airs Monday through Friday, 9 to midnight on Sirius XM Left. He's also a senior advisor to Media Matters and CEO of the American Independent News Network. And throughout his career, he has served as advisor to Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, former Vice President Al Gore, and on John Kerry's presidential campaign. So obviously, he's a heavyweight, and he's going to be awesome. Ari, welcome, and thanks so much for being on the program. Uh, thanks for having me. One slight correction is I'm a senior fellow at People for the American Way. Uh, oh. I'm no longer affiliated with Media Matters, but the book is uh, was co-written with uh, Media Matters Support, because uh, I wrote it when I was there. Thank you so much for clarifying that for us. There's a lot of no a problem. lot about you on the internet <laughs> as we Google yeah, you. So a lot, a lot written when you when you Google. Also, I was told there would be tacos. <laughs> <laughs> we lied. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, it, yes, we brought you here on the program to talk about your book, your new book, Lies Incorporated: The World of Post-Truth Politics. Especially, uh, you know, this year it's a uh, the election year, and um, everybody is extremely emotional and passionate, um, depending on who you want to vote for. I'm going to throw to John because he's extremely passionate about your book. <laughs> well, I was going to say, why don't you first set the set the stage on exactly what we're talking about? Because we're actually, I mean, this is more about, as I understand it, more about the misinformation campaigns that are out there, the, you know, the, the climate change, the entire effort to, uh, you know, put out so much information on one side that is not true, that reasonable people are unable to come to a reasonable um determination sometimes. So tell us, in your own words, what is the book about? What, what are we talking about here? Yes, look, politicians lie, right? They lie about their personal lives. They lie about, about their positions. And those lies don't have any boundaries with party or ideology at all. But the lies that I find really destructive are those, like climate denial, that are designed to specifically distort uh, our politics in this country that are designed to specifically distort issues and designed to promote cultures of mass manipulation. 
And I kind of, I got obsessed with figuring out who are the people who actually invent these lies. And when we dug in, we found out that they're actually an organized group of people who do it for both ideological and monetary profit. So are we talking about a, to use the old phrase, vast right-wing conspiracy, or are there left-wing offenders here too? Um, look, primarily the people I'm talking about are on the uh, in this book. But uh, a lot of that is not a function of politics, but a function of the time we're in, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have a, pre- a Democratic president in the White House. So the kind of change you're fighting against, because what these lies are good for is they are good for freezing the status quo in place. And if you have a Democratic president, it's going to be conservative interests that want to freeze the status quo. The other factor is the progressive movement doesn't have the kind of financial or structural uh, incentives to create these type of campaigns. And that's not a moral issue as much as it is a structural one. Because, And I'll say this, we do see people who ostensibly are progressive uh, engaging in these efforts on behalf of conservative and corporate interests. Now, with their uh, on purpose or they're duped by it. Uh, a lot of them on purpose to really? make money. Oh, um, I, I saw the story recently about uh, TV personality, and I'm not going to call her anything else. TV personality Sarah Palin <laughs> criticizing Bill Nye recently, saying you know he's as much a scientist as I am. And this was in regard to a film that includes a clip of him citing suggestions that some climate change deniers should be investigated. Um, you know, well, why shouldn't they be? And we're talking about something that affects human lives and, and that a lot of these things you, 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 you mentioned that, that, you know, I mean, these are life and death situations for folks. And I think that would make a lot of people even angrier when they realize that this is an organized campaign against them. This isn't, you know, a public forum where, where both sides get to fight it out in the battlefield of ideas. It's a, yeah, I'm trying to think of, let me, yeah, go ahead. Let me give you an example that I think fits your theme, this show, and probably issues that you guys care about greatly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as marriage equality and the fight against DOMA made its way through the right, mm-hmm. a group of primarily Catholic conservatives got together and said, we're, we're in trouble. And here's why we're in trouble. We can't go into court and say, we get that LGBT people should be discriminated against because God told us to, because no court is going to hold that up. You need, you can't, it's never going to work. They needed a reason why, why uh, marriage should only be restricted to heterosexual couples, right? And they descended on this idea that it was because the children of LGBT had worse outcomes in life than the children of straight couples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they focused in on this idea, and a research institute, a think tank called the Witherspoon Institute, which is located in Princeton, New Jersey, which is founded by this guy, Robert George. Now, Robert George, you might not know his name, but he is an incredibly prominent and important uh, Catholic intellectual. Uh, When Pope Benedict visited the United States, he was one of a few people to get private audiences with the Pope. He regularly consults with the bishops bishops on moral issues. He and he is one of the leading anti-gay voices in America. And by, I, when I say that, I mean, think about every anti-gay organization that fought against marriage equality. He was on the board and one of the founders of the National Organization for Marriage, for example. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So his group, the Witherspoon Institute, goes out and says, we have to produce a study that says that LGBT couples, the children of LGBT couples, have worse outcomes in life than the children of straight couples. 
and they go and they pay $750,000 to a professor at the University of Texas named Mark Regnerus to produce this study called the New Family Structure Study that, guess what, it has the outcome that they paid for. It has the explicit outcome of saying that the, new, that the children of gay couples have worse outcomes across the board in every aspect of their lives than the children of straight couples. And they take this and they start to use it as evidence in court against gay marriage. And it come, it's in the brief. This, the citations for the study are in the brief from the House of Representatives attorneys who ended up representing the federal government on behalf of DOMA when, the, when President Obama said, I'm not representing this anymore. The, House, the paid government attorneys in that case use this study. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops cites this study. Now, this was an organized effort to create a lie, spread the lie, and use it to, tr- to try to thwart uh, to try to thwart the rights of LGBT individuals. This, this was an attempt in, to use something that was clearly false. And by the way, when I say clearly false, the American Sociological Association, which is the professional uh, organization of this individual who wrote this study, says it's false. And the, the, um, the research journal that published it ended up hiring a guy to review the findings. And when he, when he was interviewed by the Chronicle of Higher Education, which is not like a, you know, which is a hoity-toity mag, uh, uh, publication. Mm-hmm. When he was hired by them, they asked him, he was hired by the journal, he was asked by the Chronicle of Higher Education, what did he think of the study? He said it was BS, and he didn't use the abbreviation. Kind of reminds me of Marian Nessel. She's a nutritionist and uh, author, and uh, she currently is out talking, pushing a book on uh, the big soda companies, and, and she's making the argument that they have been obviously funding massive studies that say, oh, hey, so, you know, soft drinks, no problem with your health. And she said, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but the, the point of this is, is not far off, and, and, or the point is correct, and the numbers are not far off. She, it was I actually like, had a chapter on this in the book that we ended up cutting out for space uh, because it just kind of focuses on issues of, that were kind of prominent in the Obama administration and kind of the fight against Big Sugar had not been as prominent for a number of reasons. Yeah. So we ended up kind of, uh, that it was kind of a draft chapter done, and it's the sugar industry is the equivalent of the tobacco industry and the, the fossil fuel industry. They have done more to spread misinformation about products and the health impacts of their products than nearly any industry in America. Yeah, I mean, in fact, what Nestle was citing was that the studies that are funded by the soda companies uh, are like 80 to 20 with 80 percent of them showing oh there's no problem 20 percent showing there is versus and it's a complete opposite on the you know the, the independent scientific studies 80 percent show that there is a trouble you know is a problem health negative health effect and maybe 20 percent don't um here's here's my question i mean you know yes we know that the lies exist and then for someone like myself an everyday person really you know no no scholar here i did not graduate from harvard or whatnot but some of the stuff that it, that's talked about in you know the news even cnn msnbc or or yes worst worst of them all fox i don't watch fox all too often i can tell what the lies are but ari you point out in the book that uh, you talk about you know how do these lies stick and how do people get to a point where they're believing some of this bs well first you know it's about you believe things that conform to your worldview uh, I have a friend, Clay Johnson, who's a, a brilliant thinker on a lot of the issues surrounding the Internet. 
And he wrote a book a few years back called The Information Diet, where he suggested that, like, that when you, when you make dietary choices, and this is Clay's suggestion, you, uh, if you have a pile of steamed broccoli in front of you and a slice of pizza, right, everything in our genetic coding and everything else says you want to eat the slice of pizza, right, because it's there, it's greasy, it's delicious, the cheese is melting off it, and you want that slice of pizza, right? But you know that you have to eat the, you have to eat, you can't eat pizza every day. You should have broccoli as well, right? Mm-hmm. In our information diets, we don't think the same things. We go to what is comforting and comfortable to us. We, we look at for evidence that conforms to our preconceived worldviews. This is actually one of the things I find in the book that is, that is interesting. A lot of the climate denial scientists, for example, who some of whom are the same scientists who work for the tobacco industry, it's very easy for people to say, well, they sold out for the money. That's actually not totally true. A lot of them did the work they did out of a strident anti-communist belief uh, stemming from their work in the cold, during the Cold War, believing that any government regulation, be it of tobacco or of climate, is inherently evil. So a lot of this is looking for data that conforms to our ideology as opposed mm-hmm. to looking for good data. And the fact is, People don't have time to look for good for the original good data. We rely on MSNBC, CNN, and God forbid Fox News. <laughs> you are so right about that. Hey, Ari, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to continue this discussion, this conversation. And I also want to get your thoughts on those big media companies, especially the ones who keep hiring those conservative talk show hosts that I think are the worst of them all. So don't go away, okay? Okay. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community.
And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And our guest on the phone is Ari Rabenhoft. He is the author of Lies Incorporated, the World of Post-Truth Politics. Um, so Ari, right before the break, I had mentioned it. You know, it's uh, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to tell a quick story here. But in the Bay Area, one of the um, heritage, you know, radio companies had laid off their entire on-air staff and, you know, started advertising that a new generation was coming. And once they made that announcement of the new generation, I was honestly thinking they were going to have a bunch of millennials or something or a Bernie Sanders uh, followers on the air. Um, the new generation were a group of conservative talk show hosts. We've seen the the uh, radio companies do this over and over and over and over. And I feel like um, because the conservative uh, groups own big media, uh, that's how the lies just keep perpetuating itself. But what are your thoughts, being a radio talk show host yourself? Look, I think that uh, companies make decisions based on what they think is profitable. But the media has an extra responsibility to make sure the information they are sharing is truthful. And I think that responsibility uh, has been brushed to the side in a way that is unhealthy for our democracy and unhealthy for our country. And it's something that we have to contend with in a very uh, strong fashion. What do you think about the role of new media and, and uh, particular social media mm. in, in either spreading these mis- this misinformation or trying to combat it? Is, is it a factor? Uh, it's a factor in that it changed the dynamic. Social media was is supposed to broaden us out and open us up to other ideas and uh, because of the way, let's say, the Facebook algorithm works uh, or who you follow on Twitter, you can end up closing yourself off and reinforcing the bad in these situations. And that's actually a, a real problem is we create our own bubbles in, uh, uh, online where we are, we are trapped within the misinformation that, uh, we, that makes us feel good. Right, because if all my friends say climate change isn't real, if every single one of them keeps saying that, then uh, then I'm then there's no correction to me. And if one if one odd person pops into my feed and says, "Guys, you should pay attention to the science," they're the outlier. So, Ari, you know, you made a great point. Um, a lot of us do not have the time to seek the right kind of information. So, as we live in the you know po- uh, post truth world, as as the you know the title of your book here, as we call it. Um, how do how are we going to live you know in 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 making informed decisions but also i think that the big question is how is this going to impact the politics of this country you know going forward some seem to think that going way crazy radical to the left uh to support someone like you know bernie sanders as president is what we need to do in order to create and make change um, but I feel like there's just way there's just a lot that we we have to do. Uh, Bernie Sanders is a look. I think saying Bernie Sanders is radical and to the left, you know, he is on the left, obviously, but it it, it slightly misidentifies him as kind of the cause of a trend as opposed to the continuing hmm. of a trend, which is people want a, you know, people are rebelling against what they see as politics as usual on both the Democratic side and the Republican side. And 
he is is different, and it's not about people don't tend to vote on an ideological continuum. Uh, people tend to vote culture and not uh, and not issues, and that's something the media misses a lot. You it, it, take the gun issue; even gun owners tend to agree when you pull them with the progressive position about background checks. But candidates can get destroyed on that issue because people feel like you're violating their culture. Well, talking about you know post truth or whatever uh, world, I, I kind of I guess the 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 pessimistic side of me wonders what percentage of the population ever really wanted to live in a you know a, a liberal in the classical sense world in which you you do you know argue about the matters and you you know uh, the best ideas truly win um you know talking about social media and such uh helping us create our own little bubbles most people seem to have always probably wanted that or do you think there's really been a substantive change in 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 americans in in the way they uh actually want to consume information well, I mean, there's been a substantive change in how we consume information. And sure. frankly, I actually do think, despite what I said before, it's for the better. Um, you know, 30 years ago, if you wanted news information, you had the three networks delivering 30 minutes of news a night, well, 22 minutes of news, of which, you know, 15 would be some hard news stories and seven would be some fluffy stuff, right? You mm-hmm. had the local uh, 6 o'clock and 11 o'clock broadcast where if it bleeds, it leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had one, and if you're lucky, two local newspapers competing against each other who were essentially publicly subsidized institutions. And what I mean by that is legal notices, which, which you know, were forced advertisements, uh, funded a lot of journalism in this country. All of that is gone. First off, that, sub- that public subsidy is gone because of the Internet. Right? There's, no more, uh, there's no more classified advertising, which funded a tremendous amount of media because of the, uh, because of, uh, the Internet. That world is, is gone. Now, we, what arose in its place was multiple voices rising up and competing in this world of ideas. That's a good thing. I'm, I'm happy about that. The, what I'm not happy about is the behavior that it's led people to, which is to only approach information that they fundamentally agree with. But the actual media landscape, I think it's better to have lots of different voices out there than, frankly, a fully kind of corporatized and controlled media. Because if we thought it was bad now, think about what it was like decades ago where one wealthy family controlled the newspaper in your town and the other wealthy family controlled the TV station. Sure. Uh, so is there an option other than saying people should try to find more information? I mean, you, you mentioned when we're talking about the same-sex marriage and, and the... the, the uh rent-a-study, basically, that they, they put forward. Um, David Boyes, one of the lawyers who argued against uh, the, the uh, Prop 8, I guess, here in California in the Supreme Court, um, he had told an audience here in San Francisco that one of the great benefits of when this got into the court was able, being able to pin people down on exactly that type of an issue. You know, you say this, this injures children. How does it injure children? What proof do you have that it injures children? Don't just cite the study. Cite the actual facts in it. And he said the, the other side just melted away. I mean, they had people who on the stand would, would be contradicting their own argument and finally saying, yeah, that's right, we have no proof. So is, is there, I mean, are, can the courts help change this or is this just a new landscape that people need to adjust to and get used to? 
Look, I, I think this is where people shouldn't adjust to it. People should demand a better media. Mm-hmm. And this is where the media needs to take some responsibility. Take the Donald Trump phenomenon. Yes. You have a, a, a candidate who is a liar, who lies every time he opens his mouth. I, I think the Huffington Post did a fact check on a one-hour town hall and found 71 lies in one hour, <laughs> which is which is cr- more than a lie a minute. It's almost impressive. I'm sorry. Uh, you got to try for that record. Right? <laughs> but you, when you're going for the Guinness Book of World Records, you really have to push it. I mean, you have to get in some lie training there. But the, it's right now, if you're in the media on my show, people are like, why do you cover Donald Trump? Well, you have to. He's the Republican frontrunner for the White House. You can't not cover him at this point. The question is, back in 2012, back when he was a reality TV host, show host, businessman, who was running around saying the president wasn't born in America. Why was he owed anything more than a laugh? Instead, he was granted a huge and uh, a huge platform to spread that lie. Right. And that was the media's responsibility in full. And they just eat it up is, is kind of where, you know, that's what I was saying earlier. So um, I wanted to quote something you wrote uh, in an article that I was reading. But, um, you know, you talked about if you're going to lie, lie big lie often and never acknowledge your lies <laughs> the donald trump the donald trump uh, formula right right and then and, and i don't i don't think that it's just donald trump who uses his own formula um obviously which would be why someone like sarah palin absolutely adores him no <laughs> well, oh. you gotta wonder why right Exactly. So, you know, Ari, thank you so much for being here on the program and for talking about your book. I think it's an incredible um, a book, a book that's necessary that you have uh, teamed up with Media Matters on. And the title of the book is Lies Incorporated, the World of Post-Truth Politics. So get your copy today. And uh, I, I mentioned earlier that you are also a radio talk show host. Your show airs Monday through Friday, 9 to midnight on Sirius XM. Tell us more about it. Uh, Sirius XM, it's, it's the left channel, right? It's, yeah, Sirius XM Progress 127. It's on 6 to 9 in the morning, which might be a little early for uh, people on the West Coast. Some people in San Francisco might be going to sleep then. So you can <laughs> tune in on the way to bed, maybe. Uh, we, we're Monday through Friday. We talk about policy, public affairs, all these topics, a call-in show, so people should feel free to get up, give us a call there. And uh, I, I really hope people buy my book. It was a labor of love. Uh, I'm really proud. Al Gore just tweeted out that the book was, he called the book a must-read Sorry. in his tweet. So I'm really proud about that. And uh, I think it is a must-read. So, you know, listen to me and listen to Al Gore. Get the book live incorporated. <laughs> listen to us, too. I bought the book this morning, so you should, too. Um, thank you so much, Ari, for being with us. And John of Commonwealth Club, uh, thank you so much for being here on Tuesdays. Thank you. Everyone in New York, get out and vote today. That's right. That's right. And you can also catch John Zipper's show this Friday. It's the week-to-week roundtable political talk, and it airs here on Progressive Voices Network during the Michelle Miao Show at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, all of our podcasts that we do together, you can head to commonwealthclub.org slash Meow. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also go to the Michelle Meow uh, website, michellemeow.com. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time.